0: This is Kelly Clarkson. If you love awesome music, then you also have a soft spot for TV's number one singing competition, The Voice. This season, it'll be bigger and better than ever with Adam, Blake, Jennifer Hudson, and the reigning champ, moi.
1: I've won The Voice six times. There is life beyond Blake. I wanna be a cowboy. I can do all that too! Your turn, Blake. (laughs) Watch Team Kelly on The Voice. Not to brag, but I am the returning champ. Followed by the premiere of Manifest, tonight on NBC.
0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Sex Wrap. Um, I'm Andrew. I'm a professor here at the University of Miami, and I talk about sex all the time. And fortunately, one of my very best friends in the world, you've listened to her for over 25 episodes if you've been listening to us the whole time. Spring uh, is here with me, and she also talks about sex all the time and says ridiculous things like, I love HPV. She loves to talk about HPV. How are you today, Spring?
1: is my favorite oh i love hpv you're right um i am so good today it's uh starting to get warmer finally so spring Yay. is on the way spring is coming
0: yeah um spring is over for me uh we are now in hot summer it's hot and moist and sweaty everywhere um But uh, I was talking today with a whole bunch of my students, and we're talking about words that we use to define ourselves. And that seems like a weird sentence, but there's all kinds of words when you say, like, I am this or I am that. Um, And I think young people today uh, have much better language to define who they are than I had when I was a young person. There were words like gay and straight. And there was no other language there. If we talk about, like, who you're attracted to or how you're attracted to them, like, they're just better words. Um, You can say words like, I am pansexual, right? Like, I don't care about gender or sex. I'm happy to engage in all of those. Or I like to kiss boys and girls. I'm bisexual or something else. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And I... Do love that we have a lot of ways to identify now. I think it's very important. We had a whole podcast where we talked about the importance of being able to name and to have visibility around different identifications. Um, But I also personally don't like labeling myself. And I have a lot of uh, trouble telling people how I identify because I don't like the labels. I just like uh, to be me, you know?
0: I, I, well and i think part of the reason why i like all of these new words is i think that they get closer at who i think i am but i don't use them if someone asks me who i am i still use the same overall language because they're kind of like these words that i applied to myself so long ago that it's almost hard to get myself out of that system and they also don't take as much explaining if i say i'm gay people are like oh yeah we know that word if i say something like i'm a a uh, if I say I'm a pansexual, trinogamous, whatever else, other words that I could use, people are like, what in the world, Andrew? Your words are kind of all over the place. <laughs> yeah. um, but that kind of brings us to what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. So what what is our question?
1: Our question today is, how does polyamory work? which was submitted to us by a listener. And I think it's a really great question. And so I'll say that I identify as poly, even though I never use that word. And I I don't really like saying polyamorous. Um, I do have uh, several relationships in my life at a time that are all open and honest and, um, you know, very... Uh, above board type thing right (laughs) where everybody knows what's happening Um,
0: it's kind of funny that even when Spring's sitting here talking about like this is my core piece of identity and these are the words I use you can hear getting kind of faster and talking through like there's almost like a level of nervousness when we're using these words to describe ourselves
1: yeah I like using the words I, I just like to be full of love and have a lot of love surrounding me at all times um but I do, I do have to use words that mean things so that people can understand my life, right? So I do, I do say I'm poly to people to uh, try to communicate more information in a faster time period. Um, but a lot of people still don't actually know what polyamory means. And first of all, I think we. Uh, a lot of times get poly confused, polyamory with polygamy, which are two very different things. And we'll talk about that.
0: All right. The, the, when someone says poly, it means there's like a whole spectrum of different things that it means. It can mean a, a whole ton, um, like multiple people, one people, lots of people, only a few people. Or someone could be poly and be completely happy with just one person too. Like it, it means a lot of different things. Like I think for us today, maybe our basic definition for describing how it works would be open to relationships with more than one person at a time. Is that is that like basic enough and not even sexual relationships, right? There are some people who have sexual relationships with one person and then only romantic relationships with someone else. So they call themselves poly in that instance as well. So like I think we need to be really vague to kind of start our conversation and maybe we can hone in on a couple of the different terms that people use but just openness to exploring relationships with more than one person at a time yeah right
1: yeah and I think that um It is very important if you meet someone who says they're poly to ask them what that means in their life, because that it does mean very different things to very different people. And people will use that word to identify, but then um, have very different nuanced meanings and very different life experiences to characterize that word as well.
0: Yeah. Um, So. When someone says that they're poly, what what comes to mind for you? When if you're meeting with someone and they are you're in the introduction phase and they mention that they're poly, what does it mean if someone says it to you?
1: So, I usually interpret that to me already have one or more partners and are looking for more. Um, however, that's not necessarily the case, right? Somebody can identify as poly and not current be in relationships, similar to. What you'd say, you know, if someone has broken up with their partner, they might still identify as uh, being monogamous, right? But they don't actually have a partner in their life. That doesn't mean they're not monogamous. So be poly and not actually be in a relationship. Um, But I I think it's funny that when I meet someone that says they're poly, I do actually um, usually assume that they are in at least one relationship already.
0: Right. Uh, so I think it's for me, whenever introduces themselves as poly, I have the same kind of feelings. Like, OK, got to feel out what's going on. But I think it's also a great way to kind of open up and start asking some questions, too. If someone says that word, there has to be the assumption that there's, you know, specifics and rules and, and relationship rules. And that's kind of getting us to our next point. The question is, how does polyamory work? Um, and I think the real answer is, I mean, I. Sh- There's two answers. Um, First of all, I think it's really important that for some people, poly does not work. There are some people who cannot handle it. Um, There are some people who can't handle issues of jealousy or possessiveness, or they want to feel like a part of just one other person. And that's totally fine, right? Um, The other side of that is if you feel you are poly and you are with someone who is not, someone who is monogamous, and that is really how they feel, you cannot expect them to change. Right. So it's important to have those kind of conversations early. So how does it work? Sometimes it just doesn't. And if it doesn't, that's fine. That's okay. Uh, Just have to be okay with it. Um, But you should also probably make that known to partners as well. If you are monogamous and someone introduces themselves as poly, you know that there's not most likely not going to be a lot of potential for a long term relationship there.
1: And I think that some people want to think that they can change for a partner. Um, I've certainly been out with people who to to go out with me and then said to me, oh, I can't handle this. Even after, you know, one date, they said, actually, that's uh, too much of a shift in how I think and how I live my life to, uh, to try to mm, meet you halfway even, you know? So I think that a lot of people want to think that they could kind of be monogamous or polyamorous, but it is something that takes a lot of shifting if you haven't done it before and a lot of used to and a lot of practice and a lot of communication. And I think definitely someone can shift from one to the other, but it's not an easy process. So if you are dating someone who has that kind of, uh, leaning, like they think, Oh yeah, I want to try that. I don't think that we should just say, no, that's, you know, you know, it's not for you, but there is this, uh, patience and a lot of communication that needs to happen. And, you know, weighing up how important is this identity to me versus how important is this person to me? And where do we, How can we meet so that it's a happy and healthy relationship? And if it's not, then we consider not having that relationship, right?
0: (laughs) Well, exactly. Um, Sometimes when I sit back and think about Polly, I mean, there's so many people who are, you know, 18, 19, 20, 24, who get permanently partnered or married to someone else with this expectation that there's this one other person who's going to fulfill all of your romantic and all of your sexual needs for the rest of your life. and certainly that works for some people. But when we really start looking at something like divorce rates or unhappiness rates or sexual incompatibility with people, like we look at the reasons why people are getting divorced, um, it's obvious that there is no one perfect person for anybody, right? And I think Polly, for some people, is a way to kind of bridge that gap saying like, you know, I do love you and I want to be with you, but there's more that I need that's not going to happen in this relationship, um, which kind of brings us to the, the next segment to talk about how it works. And I think rules, rules, rules are really important. I think rules are important for all relationships. Um, but for standard monogamous relationships, that set of rules is typically pretty easy to navigate, right? There's not quite as many variables that you have to take into account. Like we are not going to have sex with people who are not each other. And then occasionally other side conversations about, you know, who you drink with, or if you're allowed to watch pornography or not. Um, those sort of things are part of that conversation of monogamy. Um, but, for Polly, oh my gosh, I think like, I feel like I would need like a ten by ten matrix with a contract to go with it to get through every single possible combination of yes, no, maybe sometimes,
1: but the that's the thing there are different rules that work for every single different relationship. So if I was in three different relationships, I might have three very different sets of rules for each of those parts. So it's not just saying, you know, this is how I work, but this is how I work within this relationship with somebody. And this is what works for us together. And so part of that is kind of negotiating and talking with your partners and having those conversations about what's okay for them and what's not okay for them. And some of those things will change over time as well as your level of your relationship deepens. Sometimes some of the things you're comfortable with increase and sometimes they decrease. And I think that's that to me is really interesting at looking at how poly relationships progress and seeing how they change. And for me, the more sick I am in a relationship, uh, I feel more open within it. And some, for some people, it's the opposite. They uh, kind of revert more toward monogamy when they get uh, deeper into a relationship with somebody.
0: I think there's a lot of different forms of poly uh, relationships we can talk about. Um, Spring mentioned at the beginning, um, polyamory is different than polygamy. I'm going to reiterate it now. It's a really important point. We are not, uh, the sex rap is not saying that polygamy is overall a healthy practice. Most of the time, polygamy is motivated um, in religious circles that disempowers women and forces them.
1: Can you define polygamy?
0: uh, One man, many wives. Right. So it's one man, many wives. Um, and then the women are disempowered. They typically don't have a lot of freedom of choices in entering, so they don't get to choose who they're going to be um, married to. And they also do not have the freedom to freely leave that relationship should they be unhappy or it's abusive. So we are not condoning polygamy overall. I'm sure there's some po- polygamous people who are quite happy, but overall, polygamy is a system of oppression for women. And, and this is, that's not what we're talking about. Today, we're talking about polyamory, where you have consenting adults who are engaging in behaviors of their free will because they uh, want to experience love and relationships and romance and intimacy with more than one person. So there's a huge difference between these two. It's important to say. Mm -hmm. But getting back to other kinds. um, So I have all kinds of friends who are at different places in the poly spectrum. Um, So I'm going to talk about a couple of the the people that I know. Um, Some of my favorite friends are polyfidelitis. Are you familiar with what that means? no. No, no, Okay, so um, polyfidelitous, <laughs> polyamorous people mean that they are in a closed relationship with more than one person. So it can be three people, four people, five people, um, but they don't date anyone else outside of that circle. They don't have sex with anyone outside of that circle, but all of them um, kind of work together uh, as one larger group. Uh, I keep seeing stories in the news, um, like a family in New York City is comprised of... Uh, Two men, two women, and then their one child they're raising together, right? So we see more and more of these kind of families where there's a group of people saying, hey, we're all really good friends. We all love each other. We're going to be intimate with each other, but only with each other. Um, And it's actually a way that uh, younger people are starting to be able to afford families inside of more expensive cities, too. Um, But there's polyfidelity. um, There's something called fluid bonding. I'm familiar with fluid bonding. Yeah, that's where... uh, someone typically has a primary or a few primary partners, and those are the only people that they won't use protection with. Like, so they'll exchange uh, typically genital fluids. Um, But then if they have sex with other people, they always make sure that they use protection with all of them so that then you have this safe core uh, where people, um, you know, trust each other and they've been tested. And then you have the external core where you have fun with them, but you really uh, use safer sex uh, strategies to prevent, spread of STDs or pregnancy.
1: So, and I think that um, fluid bonding, I mean, that thing that isn't just within polyamory circles, um, fluid bonding is a, a term that means, you know, you aren't using protection with some more and you are comfortable sharing bodily fluids with them, right? So, um Definitely within poly, you'll hear that term a lot though, because people will use that to describe a partner and that gives you information about uh, what risks they're taking in different areas of their life so that you can make, it's about what risk you might be willing to take with that partner. And I think that when we're talking about poly, we're not always talking about sex, right? So we're talking about relationships outside of one relationship, but The times there is sex involved as well. So we know that when we're having sex with more people, we need to make sure that we are using the best safe practices we can to protect ourselves against anything that we do not want in our lives, any (laughs) diseases or babies that might be (laughs) undesired at that time point.
0: Right. So, I mean, if you're exploring polyamory, you just need to be extra careful and extra protective, right? Just make sure that you're protecting yourself and protecting the people around you as well. That's the, whenever we're talking about protection, we're talking about yourself, but also all of those other people in your life. This is Kelly Clarkson. If you love awesome music, then you also have a soft spot for TV's number one singing competition, The Voice. This season, it'll be bigger and better than ever with Adam Blake, Jennifer Hudson, and the
1: reigning champ, moi. I've won The Voice six times. There is life beyond Blake. I want to be a cowboy. I can do all that too! Yo, turn Blake. Yeah. <laughs> Watch Team Kelly on The Voice. Not to brag, but I am the returning champ. Followed by the premiere of Manifest tonight on NBC. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We're calling on your help to make your listening experience the best imaginable. All you need to do is take a short survey. Visit acast.com slash research. That's A-C-A-S-T dot slash research. Your opinion matters.
0: Another way that I, that I think about polyamory that I think is it's my romantic notion of it. Um, but we all know someone who's been divorced, right? And then remarried. So everyone knows someone who's been divorced and remarried. That person has found love twice in their life, right? Hopefully, right? Um, So for me, sometimes when I think about polyamory, instead of someone finding that love at two different times, it all just happens to line up at once. So it's just another way to think of it. Like, if you can fall in love twice, why can't you fall in love twice at the same time, right? And maybe not even fall in love, but share intimacy, share romance, share. I said that that's my romantic sort of, Explanation of what poly is, but I sometimes sometimes that really helps someone understand uh, what poly might be for them too. Uh.
1: And I think that a lot of people might have some form of. Polyamory in their life, though they might not term it that. So, I mean, I think that some people, for example, are in a monogamous marriage, but then have a very close person in their lives that they share more things emotionally with than they do their primary partner. And they have this really deep relationship that, you know, actually could be termed amorous if uh, they were thinking about it in that way. And so, really, I think it's more common than we think. It's just not kind of uh, our frame of reference. We're kind of starting from monogamy reference. But I think if we started from a poly frame, we see a lot more of our lives through that. And we could actually recognize that a lot of us do practice this um, loving spirit in our lives to find a lot of people that we love and support and that love and support us back.
0: Uh, and, and I mean, uh, you just mentioned it might be more common, I think, and the more and more research that comes out about it, it's way more common than any ever, anyone ever assumes as well. I think it's really stigmatized. Uh, when someone says something like they're poly, often they get a very negative reaction, especially from older people or, or people who might be more conservative. Um, so people don't say it, they keep those relationships hidden, they keep those parts of themselves away from the public eye kind of the poly closet. Um, but uh, whenever you actually get people talking, especially if you use the definition that Spring was just talking about, where you know you might have sexual intimacy with one person, but you might be more emotionally intimate with another person, that certainly fits under this, that the very generic definition of poly that we, or the very broad definition of poly we used at the beginning. Um, and like I said a few minutes ago, there are lots of stories that are popping up in the news. There was one, I think, in Time Magazine recently about these couples that are living together and having happy lives together. I mean, think about it. If you were going to have a kid Uh, how much energy and strain and cash it takes if you're just one person. But if you're four people dedicated to that one kid, that means you get nights off and weekends off and you can relax and everybody gets to sleep. I don't know. I mean, I I think there's some really big benefits pretty much no matter where we look. More emotional support, more romance in your life, more relationships that you find fulfilling, uh, potentially better sex with more people if that's what you're into, uh, more support for family and housing and living situations. I don't know, I think, I mean, when we talk about how it works, I think if we can get past some of those hangups that people have, and it, no, I shouldn't say hangups, if we can get past some of the, the issues of jealousy and possessiveness that people have, um, I think there might be a lot of benefits to exploring it. Yeah. Um,
1: I think we should that- talk about
0: coercion for a minute too, but go, go ahead. I was going to my- say
1: that I think that the issues of jealousy are one of the main things that prevent people from being in polyamorous relationships. They might try it just a very little bit and um, struggle with jealousy. And I think that being polyamorous doesn't mean you don't have jealousy. It means that you can understand what that reaction means in yourself and that you can recognize that When your partner is doing something with another partner, that's not rejection of you, and you can communicate with your partner and talk about it, and you can uh, work through any possible feelings of jealousy that arise. And that is a practice, and that's something that people that polyamorous lives, um, you know, learn to understand that reaction when they kind of feel a little bit of a... (gasps) <laughs> sensation and, uh, Mine. And, <laughs> right. And so, um, so I think for some people it's harder to work through that though. And so for some people that aren't willing or, uh, find that idea scary, then, then yeah, probably wouldn't be good of a fit for them.
0: And I think it's also really important for us to say, um, if you are in a relationship and you are monogamous and you have a partner who is trying to coerce you, into polyamorous situations that you are not comfortable, you do not have to say yes, right? Like if if it is not who you are, it is not something that you have to try to see if you like it or not. If you know in your heart of hearts, in your core that you are not, you you should not let yourself be coerced into that kind of relationship. But it's also a time where if you are not fulfilling someone else's needs and they're asking for it, you might, I mean, I, I hope you would be willing to terminate your relationship or end your relationship with them so they can find what they need as well. It gets really messy and complicated when you start talking about those disparate relationships where one person has pretty strong inclinations one way and one person is absolutely resistant because they're both right.
1: Yeah. And and some people won't want to end a relationship over that. They'll love that person a lot and then one person might just, you know, not have what They consider their needs met in that relationship. And so I think, I mean, this is something that uh, when Dan Savage talks about it, he calls it the price of admission for a relationship and whether you're willing to pay that price of admission for that specific partner. So being with this partner uh, who is firmly monogamous means that I have to be monogamous as well. And am I willing to pay that price of admission? And that and that's something you have to decide. Do do I want to do that? Um, or do I want to live this life the way I think I want to live and just have this person be a friend in my life, you right.
0: know? It gets all the way back to the how do you establish those rules inside of relationships? And it's, it's just incredibly important to establish those rules early and um, and this makes me think about like, people who get married at 24 and 25 and at 50, they're still expected, I think, maybe anniversary. I ranted about Valentine's Day recently, didn't I? Well, I kind of rant about anniversaries, too. Um, I think too many people spend too much energy and effort trying to build all of this romance into just a few days a year. I think anniversaries might be healthier for people if it was a relationship check and you could actually have an open honest conversation about your needs if they're being met or not and then what both of you could do to fix it and i think if people did that it would help deal with some of the jealousy and maybe open people up a little bit more for uh, i think that a happy poly. one of the reasons i don't
1: know poly works well is because there are are mandatory check-ins, because when you have more than one partner, you have to do more relationship talks. And having more often relationship talks, I think, helps keep relationships healthy. And so I think that, of course, everybody should be doing that. But I think once people enter into monogamous relationships, that often falls off the radar. So yeah, anniversary. Valentine's
0: Day and anniversary are the two days you. do. yeah. Yeah. Hopefully right.
1: they're
0: not on the talks. same day. Uh, oh, my, wait, my parents got married on Valentine's day. Really? So they only have one relationship topic talk a year. <laughs> Sorry, mom and dad, if you listen to me, I know they don't. It's okay.
1: Sorry. So I want to get to one other, uh, aspect of the question. How does polyamory work? I think the, um, other part of that question is maybe logistics and that is, again, it is very dependent on the people in the relationships and how many relationships are happening. But
0: you need to pull out my great big grid with all of the variables and all of the wants and how big the bet is. Google
1: calendars and match them all up and (laughs) find the days that work for different people within those relationships. And it it can get complicated. We all have really busy lives. Um, And so logistically, yeah, there are more things to figure out when there's more partners. Um, But that I don't think that that's a barrier so much as, you know, an iteration and those type of relationships.
0: You know, I think it would be good for most monogamous people to have to have a calendar when they're going to say like, wait, hold on, I'm going to affirm my relationship and go on a date and tell you I love you this day because I cherish you on this day because I don't get to see you all of the other days. But I think people take each other for granted sometimes because they see each other all of the days and they don't say the same kind of things. We're not dissing monogamy. It might sound like it a little bit monogamy is great for some people and if it works for you, congratulations, but there are alternatives out there that might also be great for you <laughs> Yeah, that can work, right? And I mean, so I started out saying, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work for people. And I think that I'm going to end by saying, you know, and sometimes it absolutely does. And it leads to really happy, successful lives, too. So. I think that's about it. So, what we got? We've come to our period. What's what's our period today, Spring?
1: So, for our period today, I want to give a shout out to a podcast that's long running, um, over ten years. The podcast is called Polyamory Weekly. And they usually come out every week. Not every week, but kind of their aim. <laughs> and Polyamory Weekly is a podcast where um, the host is Minx and her co-host, who is usually on the show, is Lusty Guy. And they're in a poly relationship, and they both have um, other relationships at other times. And they answer questions from listeners uh, specifically about polyamory and um, about poly lifestyles and about kind of um, love and sex questions, within that and it's a really well podcast and it's been going for a long time so there's quite a lot of backlog that you can listen to so if you have really specific questions about polyamory uh scroll through some of their um history and see see if you can get some more of your questions answered there yeah
0: uh, I, I'm going to go listen to some of them. Um, I have a lot of questions. Um, and if you uh, if you are one of our listeners and you have any uh, advice that you want to give about how you've made poly work for you, we'd love to hear from you. Um, and if you have any other questions at all about uh, anything, bodily, sex, relationships, LGBT... I don't know anything at all. Um, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us. Our email is uh, the sex at gmail.com. Um, you can call us at four one three. I wrap it. That's wrap with a W. Um, and then you can get us, uh, find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the sex Thanks everybody. Bye. For everything
1: that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school, or just two of... Af-
0: Music for this episode provided by the ever-elusive and mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. The Podglomer, A Sonic Universe.